And the gospel reading for the morning is Jesus' baptism in Luke. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. All four gospels record something of this version of Jesus being baptized, and ever since, the church has been trying to figure out why Jesus did that and what it means. Whether you were five months old as I was being baptized in a tiny Methodist church in deep southern Illinois, or whether you were 50 years old being baptized, or you were 13 and you were dunked to be baptized, or whether you have never been baptized, I think we rarely talk about or think about baptism. Maybe we shy away from it because baptism kind of brings us to some hard questions. Should you get baptized as a baby or should you wait to decide to be baptized once you're a young adult or an adult? Can you be baptized more than once? And what does baptism have to do with sin? And if it has something to do with sin, then why did Jesus get baptized? We are not going to solve 2,000 years of contention in the next 15 minutes this morning. But Luke's text does lead us to make two affirmations and ask one question. First, baptism is about God and God's activity. God is the author of all of this. And baptism is primarily about our identity. The question, what does it mean that in Luke, Jesus stands in line to be baptized? Baptism is first and foremost God's activity. David Lowe from Luther Seminary notes, most Christians following the early church have placed emphasis on God's unconditional promise to accept us as we are and to forgive our sin. This is the meaning in bringing babies to the font, babies who have not particularly done anything for or against God. Infants remind us that all we can really do is to receive God's love with gratitude and then try to live into that as a calling. Other traditions have put more emphasis on believers' baptism, but baptism is first about God. Baptism is not about the century-old baptismal gown who's been in your family the whole time so you have to get the child baptized before she outgrows it. (laughs) Baptism is not about worrying whether the baby will cry during baptism or spit up or something. And baptism is not particularly about what the child understands or what the parents understand 
or what the grandparents want the parents or the child to understand. (laughs) Baptism is about God's abundant love. And so baptism is about identity, how we experience how loved we really are. At Jesus' baptism, a voice from heaven told Jesus, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Just so in our baptism, God tells us our name, tells us our identity, so precious to God that God will go to any length to love us, even dying on a cross. But now the question. Luke says Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus was also baptized, Jesus, long-awaited Messiah, Lord of all, comes for baptism and waits online? No express route to to bypass, to get to the, not a son of God kind of dedicated line? No, No upgrade to avoid the congestion for Jesus? What was that like? Jesus standing in line to be baptized with everyone else. We can't assume we know who was in that line or why they were there any more than any Sunday. Like today, we can make assumptions about why any of us are here or what we are seeking this day by coming here, except even if we could not exactly name it, I believe that everyone in that line so long ago had a deeply felt need for God's grace And they wanted to figure out, in a world with so many voices telling us who we should be, people wanted to figure out who they really were. Now, one thing that has not changed, we know, as I'm sure they did in the first century, what it means to stand in line. Somebody in that line with Jesus had to be checking the angle of the sun and then looking at the length of the line, doing the time calculation. As Richard Rohr has noticed, we tend to engineer life more than just live it. We are all overstimulated and drowning in options. We are all trained to be managers, to organize life, to make things happen. This is what's built Western civilization, and it's not all bad. But as Rohr says, if you transfer all that to the spiritual life, it is pure heresy. It does not work. It is not the gospel. If we try to manage God in any way or even manage ourselves, we will never bring forth Christ but only our small selves. Our life is precisely what we have received as a gift. That's a challenge. To receive a core part of who we are as only a gift. It's a challenge, particularly given the study that Harvard and University of Virginia psychologists have have done that have confirmed what we probably knew but don't want to acknowledge. We human beings tend to overestimate our own wonderfulness. We tend to believe that we have just now reached the peak of our personal evolution, but most days that's just not true. In that line with Jesus, I am sure there are people who wanted a renewed soul, who wanted a changed life, but needed it in a way and a manner and a timing they could pretty much manage or control. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. 
I'll bet there was a nun standing in line right next to Jesus. Uh, Nuns as in none of the above when asked about religious affiliation. Nuns are searching for some authentic experience of the holy, but nothing too packaged or controlled, certainly nothing too institutional. Corinna Nicolau started a blog a couple years ago, ago called One Nun Gets Some. Her accounts of trying to find spiritual meaning by trying to explore every religious group she could, beginning with all manner of Christianity. She writes, when I tell people I'm a nun, they think I've said I'm a nun, as in the habited lady who lives in a convent, which is both funny and ironic, because I'm actually sort of opposite of a nun. The number of religious services I attended growing up could fit on the fingers of one hand with enough left over to form the peace sign. I never officially learned anything about the Bible. I did not study religion. I was not baptized. My parents never, ever taught me anything biblical except a vaguely cultural version of the golden rule. I managed to get through life almost completely ignorant of the specifics of religion except for what little bits I picked up from popular culture. You may know this because these articles are now everywhere, but this is the first time in U.S. history when the fastest grown religious affiliation is no religious affiliation. In 1972, 7% of Americans said they had no religious affiliation. And that remained unchanged from 1972 to 1990, 7% all the way along. Between 1990 and 2014, however, the percentage of the religious unaffiliated has more than tripled to 23%. Among those who have come of age since 1990, it's 35% and rising rapidly, five times greater than any other generation. I'll let you look around our culture and around Westlake Hills and make your own calculations about that. I think that if you looked in the line for baptism, you would find Jesus in deep conversation with Corinna Nicolau's friends, who were there searching for something authentic that they weren't finding in all the offerings of the day, which is why they headed out to meet that strange John in the wilderness. Recently, a forest ranger in Wales described the most common question of visitors to his park. Many people come to the park. It's a breathtaking and beautiful place for hikes through the forest. But the most frequent question asked the forest rangers there was not, where does this trail go, or how long will it take to hike it, or should I bring bug spray? It's, excuse me, can you tell me where the trail starts? No matter how breathtaking any trail may be, if you don't know where it starts, you can't hike it. I think standing next to Jesus that day on the banks of the Jordan River were women and men who were looking for a start on a path to God, and they had no idea how close they were. C.S. Lewis once described embarking on Christian faith in his experience, as being surprised by joy. 
Over the years, I've had many people who have come to talk to me about an experience they've had with God. Divine human encounters, Willman says, uh, have a certain pattern. First, usually the person isn't looking for an encounter with God. They're just in the middle of their ordinary day doing ordinary things, and then God shows up in their lives. They weren't looking for God. It turns out God found them. Also, the encounter between heaven and earth is often strange and difficult to describe, but it's incredibly real. The encounter is difficult for people to describe to others. Often it comes down to finally saying, well, you just had to be there, I guess, to understand it. And finally, usually these conversations begin with some version of I'm going to tell you something that happened to me that was strange, and I've never told anybody about it, and I'm hoping you won't think I'm crazy. Why is reporting on an experience of God considered crazy? Because the modern world is threatened by the thought that there might be a presence, God, that we cannot totally explain or understand. Theologian Miroslav Volf reminds us, God's goods are not for sale. You can't buy them with money, you can't buy them with good deeds. God does not make deals, God gives. To the one who's on the schedule, checking the sun, checking the line, to the one that needs to be in control, God gives. To all of us who overestimate our own wonderfulness, God gives. To the nuns, God gives. To every one of us who has no faith history at all, God gives. To you who are just trying to figure out a start to the path, God gives. And to those who are imprisoned in modern calculations and the burden of explanation, God gives. God gives identity. We are God's beloved. Whether you ask for it or not, you get it. And God gives us grace, a love that molds us and changes us so deeply, and a love that will never forsake us. And that was never closer to every seeking soul than at that riverbank waiting for baptism. In the movie Tender Mercies, Robert Duvall plays a formerly famous but now broken down country singer who's finally gotten sober and is trying to rebuild his life, running a small town motel with his new wife. One day a daughter he hasn't seen in 12 years, appears at the motel. She's 18 now and wanted to find her father. They have such an awkward and painful conversation. Do you recognize me, she asked her father. How? I just did, he answers. You've changed, she says to him. He doesn't know what to say. You know, you haven't spoken my name since I got here, she says to him after they've talked a while. I I used to call you sister, he says, but I I didn't know if you'd remember that. I I I don't know what to call you. 
she considers that for a moment and then says, there was a song about a dove that used to sing to me when I was little. On the wings of a snow white dove, he sends his something, something love. I don't remember that, he says. She departs. As she drives away, he looks at the window at her driving when away. Jesus went down to the waters that day he was baptized in the usual way when it was done God blessed his song he sent him his love on the wings of a dove, on the wings of a snow white dove, he sends his pure sweet love, a sign from above, on the wings of a dove, on the wings of a dove. No matter our pain, no matter how lost we feel, no matter our preoccupation, our distractions, our worries, no matter how tired we are trying to live up to the presumption that we have it all together, no matter our background, our credentials, our checkered past, no matter what we can't find or can't remember, Baptism gives us identity as God's child. Baptism gives us a song to sing in our lives that this world is desperate to hear. Lutheran pastor Mary Lindbergh describes a recent experience. Twenty girls, ages three to twelve, pile into the entrance of a Korean cultural center where they've come to practice traditional Korean dance. According to Korean custom, everyone takes off their shoes when they enter the building, and the girls observe this ritual in a typically energetic and somewhat chaotic way. They rip their shoes off and put them all in a pile and then head off to rehearsal. While the dance teacher leads the class, I sit in the lobby waiting for my daughter, watching another ritual unfold. One of the other moms methodically picks up and untangles this large pile of dozens of shoes and sorts them into pairs. She matches up the shoes and sets each pair neatly down with the toes pointed toward the door. By the end of her ritual, she's turned all the shoes around. And when our daughters finish dancing, their shoes are ready for them to head out the door onto their next life event. coming from God only knows where. They all got baptized by John in the Jordan River. And after the baptisms and after Jesus was baptized and after the dove descended, they all resumed their life's path, headed God only knows where. The patient and the impatient, the engineers and the poets, the nuns and the fifth century believers, the conservatives and the liberals, the traditionalists and the seekers, They left the riverbank that day turned around, pointed out into the world that God so loves. So off they went, 
changed in two unmistakable ways. They knew beyond all knowing that God loved them to their core and would never forsake them. And they knew who they were. They had the identity of God's beloved children. Oh, oh, oh. They also knew that they weren't crazy for having had this experience. Because focused just on their life that day, they ended up standing in line next to Jesus. And they saw the face of God. 